0: Well, here I am, back. Yep. What's going on? Here's something that's been bothering me. Frankly, I think I'm very gay. I mean, I'm not stupid. I know part of it's this father figure thing and... What? This is a very big step. Yeah, tell me about it. I mean that you've come here to talk about this impulse instead of just acting on it without thinking. I always think. Really, I'm very confused. Own your feelings. It's this is guy in my neighborhood. He a close friend. See, so he told me back then, this guy he said uh, said that I was special. And what the fuck? I suppose some inside me says I love him. And I care about him so much. You care about him so much? This is a milestone for you. You're at a very important crossroads. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. You have to be honest with yourself. I know this is a powerful urge. My fucking head is swimming here. We're going to have to stop. It's a lot to process. But we've made real progress today. Good work. And I'd really like you to write down any thoughts or associations. Men kissing men, holding hands in the street. I love it.
1: How do we explain why Tony doesn't get anything out of therapy by the end of the show? Or or why these insights that he does have aren't enough to...
2: Change his behavior.
1: Yeah, not enough to change his behavior in any permanent or structural way. Why don't they stop him from being the guy he is?
2: Yes, I think this is a question you could level at most people who are in therapy, unfortunately. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, busted, you know, speaking as as one of them. but
1: Yeah, but the the explanation, I I think, can't be that Tony is was broken from the start and he's just born in a way that makes him incapable of living in a way that doesn't hurt nobody, that isn't built on the use of violence against others. And to answer that question, we need to think about what does Tony expect to get out of therapy? What is he trying to do when he's in there day to day? And why is Malfi incapable of overcoming the kind of obstacles that prevent Tony from having any serious breakthrough?
2: Right. Well, a few. I mean, maybe you're going to get to this, but a few times she directly asks him, you know, what do you want out of this? And he talks about one wanting to not have panic attacks anymore two wanting to be in total control and direct his anger at the people who deserve it and to like have full have like full access to his powers basically right yeah at no point does tony say i want to be a better person i want to stop hurting people i want to
1: stop cheating on my wife
2: yeah i want to stop ruining my own life
1: (laughs) right (laughs) i don't want to kill my nephew yeah (laughs) Or I want my son to not be, you know, a complete... I want to be able to love my son without feeling shame for him.
2: Yeah, I I mean, he talks about wanting to save his son. But Mm -hmm. mostly that means, how do I make my son not a criminal, but also not a pussy?
1: Part of the reason Tony fails to get lasting change, lasting results out of therapy is that there are a lot of lines that reveal what he thinks that he's supposed to be getting out of it. Where he says to Melfi, isn't this what you're always telling me? And then he says something that is...
2: but know. she's never said. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right. yeah. yeah, there are a couple I wanted to talk about because I thought they're revealing in different ways. Um, in, in season two, in episode nine, I think we get the first of this, which is in From Where to Eternity... Tony is having some kind of argument with Melfi and she uh, evinces some kind of moral judgment of how he makes a living.
0: You pick here to make a stand? After all this, this time, telling me that nothing's my fault because I'm poor parenting. Right. Which
2: <laughs> She's never said that. Right. She's yeah. never
1: said anything like that. But that's it. That's what that's Tony what he's thinks he's going it. to get from therapy. Yeah. And that's what he walks into therapy and out of therapy, believing right. therapy is all about. Explaining why nothing's his fault because his mother was mean to him. Right. And that's what he thinks in Boca when he's talking to Malfi about what she recommends with this guy who's raped Meadows' soccer teammate.
0: Yeah. So maybe you could talk about his unhappy childhood
2: and, and, and we
0: could have sympathy for the fuck.
1: Which is again revealing of what Tony thinks he's getting. He, he thinks he's getting a story about why he's the real victim.
2: Yeah, he thinks he's getting an existential doctor's note that like... Him off let's off the hook him for what, yeah. he,
1: what he is and what he does. Yeah. He expects to be told that he's the real victim. And he expects that to be explained through his unhappy childhood. That is often what Tony is seeking in therapy.
2: And it's often what he is given.
1: Yeah, exactly. He, yeah. he, he definitely gets material from Malfi to make that uh, justification of his own actions. Yeah. But there's another later in that season... In episode 12 of season two, the night in white satin armor.
2: Mm, great episode.
1: Tony talks about breaking up with Arena, and Malfi asks him, why are you breaking up with Arena?" And he says, why?
0: What do you mean, why? Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? I mean, aren't you telling me that all the time in here? And
1: Malfi correctly responds kind of, you know, hurt and outraged that she never judges her patients' sex lives.
2: Right. Because you can't do that in therapy. It's
1: just not the point. But Tony is thinking that his therapist is going to give him practical advice about the things that he knows he ought to do. He shouldn't be cheating on his wife. I mean, he does feel intermittent guilt about that. He he knows that it's not something that ultimately makes him happy. And that is extremely destructive to the relationships that he cares about most. So the therapist's role is the mother's role. Saying, no, this isn't what you should do. Get your hand out of the cookie jar.
2: Yeah. Do this instead. Yeah. Don't make me tell your father about this.
1: Yeah. So just like the other one, just like nothing's my fault because of poor parenting. This is something that Tony expects and wants to get out of therapy. Moral advice. The third version of this that I wanted to talk about was in another season two episode, in episode 10, Bust Out.
2: Davy Scottino episode.
1: Yeah. Where Tony says to Malfi,
0: I mean, I bring all this on myself. I mean, that's what you keep telling me. Uh,
1: this, is, this is different because here he really does identify something that Malfi has said to him or has said in so many words, and mm-hmm. she accepts that this is a fair formulation. And that, that does not make Tony happy. He gets quite upset. What upsets him most is her next question.
0: The question is, how do you stop? You know what? What? I dodged a very big bullet. And I'm feeling pretty fucking good about it. So I don't need any more psychiatry today.
1: And Tony does not want to hear that. He does not want to think about that. That is the main question that therapy ought to be addressing. Tony brings horrific suffering on himself and the people around him because of the the patterns of behavior that he's locked into. How do you stop is what Malfi wants to to help him uh, figure out. But Tony's response to this is, I dodged a very big bullet today. (laughs) i pretty good. (laughs) Meaning... My entire life was nearly destroyed by an FBI investigation that I have no power over.
2: Yeah, into a murder I committed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there is the limit of what Tony is willing to achieve in therapy.
2: Right. I mean, that's, that's the real <laughs> bullet that he dodges. Is, yeah. <laughs> that.
1: Having to confront this disaster that almost happened to him. Yeah, he, Or
2: having to, yeah, think about some suffering he might have to endure to change his behavior. Like, that's... <laughs>
1: I think Tony is trapped in the knowledge on some level that that's what he should be focusing on the therapy, but then it's much easier to rewrite what Malfi is telling him as a series of tips and tricks for dealing with life.
2: Yes, everything gets turned into... Oh, because Tony loves, like, little aphorisms. Right. He loves... I go around feeling sorry for myself, but there's a wind in my back. Like, he loves little... Yeah, values.com. Like, (laughs) that's the most he can manage.
1: Yeah, so he... Changes everything into leadership strategies, as he says when he breaks up with Malfi sometime in season four. Yeah,
2: he turns everything into yeah, into (laughs) into the prince, (laughs) into Machiavelli.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: Into these yeah little.
1: Yeah, there's another great one in season five. Once he's back talking to Malfi, he says,
0: "Well, you gotta have a sense of humor in life, right? You taught me that." Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> Melfi, pretty, Melfi, the
0: least funny character on the show, humorless person. Yeah,
2: she makes one joke and it's awful. That time when she's at dinner with her son and he's talking about studying deconstructionism and she's like, "And your father was a contractor." Like, <laughs> good one. Also, yeah, her final, her final zinger: the "You're not my gynecologist."
1: Yes, yeah, extremely Oof. lame.
2: No pop for that.
1: <laughs> so this is. I don't know, part of the show's weird view of what therapy is, where it's contrasted with church, where as Father Phil says right in the first season, therapy's a start, but it doesn't address the soul. That's something that the show absolutely believes.
2: Yes. It's also something that Matt Zoller cites and Alan Steppenwall believe, because they criticize Melfi at one point for like edging too much into moralizing when like and they say that's the church's job. Right.
1: Which, is, like, <laughs> Which is the church is, you know, and The Sopranos is one of the most corrupt and impotent organizations
2: well, out there. And it also just slots into this idea that we've talked about a little bit about how, like The Sopranos is a show about individuals and cannot really deal with systems. And mm, yeah. that's such a being like, well, a therapist, you don't, they don't tell you how to be a better person. Like the stuff you do in therapy is only about you as if that doesn't affect
1: Right. As if Tony's whole problem is that he knows he's a bad person and that he feels awful about being such a shitty, terrible person. Right. And
2: as if like the things you do that like hurt other people around you, like every time you hurt the people around you, you also hurt yourself. Like there's just like no sense of like interconnectedness of like these different overlapping systems that you, you can't just atomize. Well, this is where you go to be a good person. This is where you go to have not anxiety anymore.
1: Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, Yeah. You remember this scene with Richard early on? I mean, this is this is part of the show's, I don't know, overall attitude to therapy, where he's talking to Malfi about the futility of treating Tony.
2: Man's a criminal, Jennifer. And after a while,
1: finally, you're going to get beyond psychotherapy with its cheesy moral relativism. Finally, you're
0: going to get to good and evil.
1: And he's evil. That's one of those moments in the show where you hear the voice of David yes, Chase 100%. coming through to you. And that's supposed to be the, yes, the view that you uh, agree with.
2: Yeah. And that's, yeah, which is supposed to be the lesson Melphy learns at the end of the show. It's the lesson that David Chase thought he saw reflected back at himself when he learned about the criminal personality.
1: Right. But it, it, it's such a, shows the fundamental misconception about like how therapy might help Tony or how thinking about his behavior might help Tony. He needs to address the moral component of it. The fact that they never do that in therapy is exactly what prevents him from making serious progress.
2: Yeah, You know who offers better potential for change than, surprisingly, more so than any other authority figure in the show, is the FBI for Adriana. Like, that functions more like therapy for her in that, one, yeah, it literally does give her people to talk to who are, I mean, they're not objective. They obviously are, like, using her and pumping her. But she feels like, here are reasonable, smart people who I can talk to about my problems and who listen to me. Yeah. you won't gonna hit me or throw stuff at me. And then they offer her avenues for changed behavior or a life of changed behavior
1: right yeah and she attempts to take it
2: and yeah and which is predicated on changing her surround like changing your material situation changing right like leaving these lifestyle and social restrictions that prevent you right
1: leaving the bar that is the source of your income that comes from you know the mafia boss that your whole life is is lived in fealty to. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Especially, I always forget the FBI agent's name—the one after
2: Danielle. Robin Sanseverino.
1: Right, Sanseverino gives her a little speech about how she joined the FBI because she wants to be, you know, with the good guys. And Adriana, yeah. you're that's with the good bullshit. guys now. But Obviously, that's bullshit as a as a read on what the FBI is and does.
2: Yeah, I don't even know if I believe her anecdote about the coconut. That sounds <laughs> ridiculous, but.
1: But there is something to what you're saying in like how the show presents that option. That okay, you could rat on your friends, and and that you you know Tony would never feel okay about doing that. But the way out of the mafia is a total break with the people and the surroundings. That it's having a different job. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. <laughs> quitting because <laughs> obviously Tony is motivated to keep doing what he's doing by a whole range of material factors by. His desire to live in the house that he lives in, by his desire to keep his family in
2: right, to keep Meadow at Columbia, to yeah,
1: yeah, which is not that does not make him noble. Obviously, no. those are gross uh, impulses. But if you're trying to understand why he can't change, those have to be part of the story. That his, his whole life is built on making money in a particular way, and that that way of making money is deeply immoral, even you know, in his own eyes, causing him, you know, extreme cognitive dissonance and deep anxiety about who he is. Tony in therapy thinks that he needs to work out his relationship with his mother because, of course, his mother's still alive at the beginning of the show. He has a lot of serious problems with how he relates to her. She does try to have him killed.
2: Yeah, that is... (laughs) She does try to have him killed.
1: (laughs) But I think we agree. I think we've talked before on this show about... Briefly, yeah. Yeah, about how Tony is... Focused on his mother in a way that allows him to keep from confronting the anger that he feels towards his
2: father. Yeah, it's a defense mechanism. And Melfi sort of picks up on it. I think she does bring it up once about, like, you have so much anger at your mother when your father is the one who chopped off people's fingers in front of you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Of course, I mean, Tony cannot confront his feelings towards his father because, one, those feelings are not exactly rooted in the way that his father treated him, but more the life that he gets sucked into because of his father's profession. Right, a profession yeah. that he now shares. And uh, in that in that profession, in that career, he damages people in the same way that his father does. Yeah, so anger kind of, at his father is going to be...
2: Yeah, it's going to have to be turned into anger at yourself. And it's just too big and too much to even touch for him right, a lot of the yeah. time.
1: It's a lot easier for him to think about the way his mother treated him. And I don't even want to say that that's to excuse his bad behavior because that's not, that's not the kind of thing that he explains with reference to how his mother... Was abusive to him. What he explains is his depression mm-hmm. primarily, yeah, yeah. or the way that he feels towards himself. Yeah. So it's really more about like the bad feelings that he has that, that yeah get to yeah be, yeah yeah or his um inability to ha- have the feelings that he thinks are appropriate towards his own children, or you know his inability to react right when somebody dies. Or right. So explain Chase's relationship with his mother and his father.
2: Okay, I'm going to connect a lot of dots here that like maybe maybe you shouldn't be being connected or maybe are stretches, but I've done a little bit of a dive on David Chase's yeah, relationship to his family. And I think the way that plays out on the field of the show is very interesting. David Chase's mother, uh, his In his words, she was she was a nervous woman who dominated any situation she was in by being so needy and always on the verge of hysteria, you walked on eggshells. His wife has described his mother, her mother-in-law, as a, quote, lunatic, passive-aggressive drama queen given to every sort of eccentricity. That's not a quote from either of them. It's a quote from an interview, but... Mm. so yeah so and livia was explicitly ex- modeled
1: on his mother right
2: yes explicitly the some of her little tics actually are uh, his mother would not drive if they were predicting rain um <laughs> yeah and more broadly he has said and this is a quote that the sopranos is based on members of my family it's about as personal as you can get
1: okay so then i want to ask about uh, all right so take tony tony believes that the primary relationship that he needs to work out is the one with his mother yes but Clearly, we can see from the show that this focus on the mother is really allowing him to displace a lot of anger and frustration that he feels at his father.
2: Yes. Yes. So and what
1: what's going on with Chase's father? Do we have any information about that?
2: Well, very tellingly, he does not talk about his father in interviews nearly as much as he talks about his mother. And he has never said, you know, uh, oh, well, uh, Johnny Wood Soprano was based on my dad. Uh, anything like that. However... We have a few little nuggets, and I think they are very revealing. In an interview with Vanity Fair in 2007, he said he had a lot of quote issues with his parents. Um, he grew up very much under their thumb emotionally, uh, and yeah. And the interview reads: At the same time, he could barely stand to be in the same room with his father and mother. Their very proximity made him physically ill, put what? his stomach in knots. His father what, is this
1: like when he was a child? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh.
2: His father, who owned a hardware store, quote from Chase, was a very angry guy. If he had a problem with me, I got the silent treatment. He wouldn't speak to me for a week, two weeks, to a child. Jesus. <laughs> Henry Chase did his best to crush his son's spirit. He belittled him at every opportunity, even made fun of his physical appearance. And in one of the interviews that he did with Alan Seppenwall and Matt Zoller Sites for The Sopranos Sessions, um, the book that came out last year, he says, my father would always make fun of me. He would say that I thought I was a big shot because of show business. In fact, his relationship with his father was so bad that he says when he moved... He says, when I moved to North Caldwell, New Jersey, as you know, it was woodsier. It was right across the street from my house, the woods. And I was always tramping through the woods. I had muskrat traps and a twenty two rifle. The interviewer asks, do you know how to shoot? David Chase replies, no. My mother had my father pull the firing pin out of that because she was afraid I was going to kill him. And the interviewer asks, by accident? Oh my God. He says, no, on purpose. And he says, his mother told him that at his father's wake. Like, his mom was worried he was going to commit patricide. That was how bad their relationship was.
1: Okay, so this is very revealing of what we see.
2: Yes, uh, Yeah, Um,
1: interesting that he doesn't talk about his father much.
2: Doesn't talk about his father much, and very interesting that he wrote the father figure out of the show. He's dead. We don't have to deal with it. He does say at one point that he thinks Gandolfini, Tony, uh, reminded him of his father sometimes during the making of The Sopranos. Mm, Hmm, I
1: wonder why that would be.
2: And very, very briefly says, oh, and the father's story in the movie, the upcoming movie, Many Saints, Uh he says, you know, asking rhetorically, what was my father's story? He did have this disease. I'm not sure. Does he mean anxiety, panic attacks? I don't know what disease he means. He did have this disease and he did get into this sort of affair in the hospital. Which I guess means that moment when, which we do see in the flashback in the show, when Livia is in the hospital with, I guess, delivering Barbara, and his father can't come to the delivery room because he's with a Gumar. I don't uh, know is that, if that's what that's referring to. Huh. Um, and he says, that was his story, and I don't know, they weren't separate to me. Which is so interesting. Yeah. That he does not think of Johnny Boy Soprano as having been based on his father, even though... The violence, the like...
1: Right, he's uh, incapable of seeing exactly the same stuff that Tony is incapable of seeing.
2: Exactly, and instead he's identifying Tony with his father, which in the very previous, the sentence right before that one, he says, Jim can do no wrong, I thought he was just great. Like, he has instead pivoted to identifying his father with the much more lovable, much more understandable Tony. Right. Rather than with with Johnny Boy.
1: Yeah, Um, and obviously taking into account this stuff that Tony in therapy is working out many of the problems that David Chase has with uh, his own personal life. Yes, he's he's not only transferred himself into Tony in this situation, he's also transferred his father onto Tony. Yes. Just as Tony transfers himself onto Tony's father. Yes.
2: Well, I will, I would like to make the case that The process of making the show, The Sopranos, functioned more as therapy for David Chase than the actual therapy he did um, (laughs) with a therapist. I mean, we have, yeah, these like this this uh, family drama playing out right here. Like taking all of that together, I think it is, yeah, absolutely the case that, like you were saying, that Chase, like Tony can't reconcile i mean not for the same reasons as tony but for whatever reason it's too painful to to actively and clearly identify the sins of the father and instead all anger and resentment and storytelling is displaced onto the mother
1: right who is just as much of a victim of the father as the children are
2: yes and david chase says uh I can find the quote here somewhere, but he does say he thinks his mother was a victim of abuse, maybe as a child, but a degree of sympathy for that sort of psychological wounds causing how she is in the present, like is never, we never get that. We never get that for Livia. Really. Right,
1: right. We get close to it in one episode, Camelot. Okay, so the ex-Gumar of uh, Johnny Boy Soprano that Tony Tony has an encounter with in later life once she's kind of an old washed up ex yeah. Mafia girlfriend, yeah and Tony looks on her as like a window into the the fantasy life that he attributed to his father when he was a kid. The glamour of it, but that episode progresses with Tony becoming more and more disturbed by this experience as he views all of these things that he saw as a kid from the perspective of an adult who's now doing the things that his father was doing.
2: Exactly. Also interesting that that also sort of that realization sort of hinges on the mistreatment of an animal more than it is the it's treatment of his mother. It's the fact that Fran Felstein, his dad gave her his childhood dog and then she had him put down.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good call. That episode is another good instance of where therapy can work because there Malfi, I, I think, there's a session that Tony has with Malfi where he talks about this and Malfi kind of draws out
2: yeah, I think this is the one I was thinking of.
1: Right, yeah. she draws out some of his feelings about his his parents and some of the resentment he feels towards his father. It doesn't get followed up on, unfortunately. It does show that therapy can result in real insights for Tony. So then the question is like, what what is Tony doing in therapy given that those experiences are so rare? What does he want to get out of it? What is he trying to get out of it? I think one of it is he, he wants someone to talk to who he can set up as an alternative replacement mother figure
2: yes in more ways than one I believe yeah because first of all he wants from Melfi and gets like a lot of the sort of nurturing attributes he did not get from his own mother right she listens to him she cares about his feelings she doesn't shout at him she asks him questions like can you imagine Livia ever asking Tony a question about himself
1: yeah or if Tony (laughs) revealed any sort of weakness or uncertainty she would immediately pounce on it
2: right right Whereas, you know, with Melvie, there's no, there's no potential. Well, there's not supposed to be any potential for abandonment. That I guess proves not to be <laughs> true. And I think she mentions this. I think when he, the first time he tells her he's in love with her. And she like this <laughs> She very, says,
1: yeah, this is a very common experience. You don't know who I am. I'm just uh, allowing you to show kind of bits of yourself that you've never been allowed to show before.
2: Yeah. And I'm, my job is to display qualities that like women in your life, for the most part, your mother at least like did not show you. Yeah, very early transference there, I guess.
1: Right, because Livia also acts as a conciliary for the family, and she yes. was an advisor for Johnny. I mean,
2: she was an advisor for Johnny and becomes an advisor for, for Junior, Junior once yeah. he's uh, technically running things. And I think Tony.
1: Tony is hurt that he is shut out of that relationship with yes, her. Yes,
2: yes, it's all done behind his back. And I think when he's with Melphy especially after his mother dies and or at least you know after she's sort of not really uh cogent anymore he also starts to use Melfi in the same way as a conciliary as yeah that other kind of mother that he had who you know he calls her you know like a sibyl, like that you go to um True. for to sort of run things by yeah so the, yeah
1: the scene that I always think of with that is it's after Tony has decided to make Christopher his Ooh, yes,
2: exactly. I was just thinking about this.
1: Yeah, and it's a weird scene because Tony goes in and he talks about his plans. He starts out by saying, I don't want to wind up like my Uncle Junior who...
0: What's he, 72 years old? What's he got? Fucking a shitty house in Belleville and a bunch of legal bills that make you goggle Drano if you had them.
1: Yeah, has all these bills, is a loan, uh, he can't trust anybody, so I'm going to rely only on blood.
0: You rely only on family. Not many men could survive without the love and support of their wife and children. No, 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 no. I'm talking about business. You trust only blood.
1: My son is a loser, so I can't <laughs> use him. Now, what I've been dealt is my nephew. And Melfi immediately sees the flaw in this reasoning. It's <laughs> just that what, what he's just described happening to Junior is the result of Junior attempting to rely on him, him
2: exactly. as
1: his nephew.
0: Didn't your uncle do that with you? You, you said his
2: life is l- like a desert. And that, unfortunately, like Italian blood magic is not real. Right. <laughs> has nothing to do, like, it's not going to help you that you're related.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this idea that Tony can rely on Christopher in a way that um, gets him out of the, the walls that are closing in on him through the whole series, this FBI investigation that yeah. drags on and on. Um, Malfi sees this doesn't make sense. And she also asks him,
0: Anthony, why are you telling me this?
1: And Tony says, I don't know. Just, uh, I trust you a little. There you go. Yeah, which is, that's an interesting line, because what does it matter if he trusts her? First of all, it's not true. He's not going to tell her lots of stuff. There's lots of things that he would never discuss with her. Right. Partly because he doesn't want her to see him.
2: Yeah, yeah, he doesn't want her judgment.
1: Right, but also because there's, there's many aspects of his business that she would be required to report him to the police for. So why does he say, because I trust you? I think the only explanation can be he trusts her intuition. He mm-hmm. trusts her insight exactly. into the situation. Like a
2: Sybil. Or yes. like his conception of what a Sybil is. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And he knows on some level, on some unconscious level, that this plan with Christopher is doomed and he wants...
2: He wants, yeah, he wants her to explain to him why (laughs)
1: yeah in a way
2: he can understand and accept (laughs) and that he could then pitch back to christopher when he had to like
1: yeah exactly of course he's not going to accept her answer because he he doesn't want to hear that he doesn't have options Options. that he is in a very bad situation the
2: big nothing left
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but i think that the only way to explain his behavior and his words there (laughs) The only way to explain his behavior and his words there is to think that what Tony's looking for is Melfi to shake him and say, this is a really dumb idea.
2: Yeah, don't do this. Which is what if Livia, you know, if she weren't, if she were still alive and if she weren't like a 90-year-old bat or whatever, like...
1: That's the advice that she would have given. That's the advice she would
2: give him. She, I mean, in different words and like much more coded language. But yes, she would do the exact same thing. Yes. Yeah. Although she did like Christopher. He... She likes Christopher. He yeah. hung up a screen door for her once or whatever. <laughs> so yeah. he gets to live. But yeah, I don't think.
1: So that's another way in which Malfi becomes Tony's surrogate mother.
2: Yeah. And this is, I mean, more broadly... I mean, it's
1: She's p- the bus that he's trying to climb back on. To get on, to on get it off, yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: but more, I mean, it's been a long time since I've read any Freud. But I did a semester and a half at Seton Hall and I understand <laughs> therapy as a concept, so... Yeah, this like sort of fits into the sort of smudgy, Freudian, Oedipal framework that the show kind of... Right, yeah, like the
1: Freud that you'd understand from reading Wikipedia. Yes,
2: exactly. And yeah, and David Chase, again, David Chase has said that the relationship between Tony and Melvie modeled on the relationship he had with his shrink. And most interestingly, he describes his relationship with his therapist, his original therapist, as, quote, like a remothering which
1: first of all very creepy way to describe any relationship
2: yeah but then he even says she's probably dead now and i haven't called her which is how you would talk about your estranged mom like oh i should have i know she's in the hospital i haven't called her in such a long time and (laughs) and then he says yeah it was mostly kind of a remothering she was very good at making me feel better about myself
1: oh okay so that gets into the other thing tony's looking for out of therapy so i think like when we're talking about this there are many many Factors that go into why Tony stays in therapy. One of those factors is that it is a genuinely useful process for him. And yep. in, in some ways that speak directly to his own life. Like he does get some insights into how to handle relationships in his life. He does get better at understanding his children.
2: Yes. And David Chase has said that therapy, the only good thing Tony got out of it is he thinks it made him a better parent. I... maybe. Maybe. Uh, I, I think that moments. he's
1: capable of sympathizing with Meadow and AJ in ways that he isn't at the beginning of the show
2: at the very least he is able to like understand aj's panic attacks in a way that his father never could understand his own
1: yeah um, instead of seeing aj as a weak failure in those moments he sees him as how
2: are we going to save the most this pitiable
1: yeah. elements of himself yeah. so uh, that's one thing and and i think tony is also attracted to the idea that there's a, a way out for him that he can be saved and that Malfi can help him to become a person who's more acceptable to himself
2: Yes. And he also says, I think he says it's an oasis in my week. I mean, his relationship with Melfi...
1: Right. It's one of the only genuine relationships that he has. She's also one of the few, you know, intelligent people in his life.
2: Yes. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Carm...
1: Carm... Carm is, is... smart. Has a brain and... But, but she's, she's really the only it's other person of... <laughs> apart from Melfi that Tony could Johnny have. Johnny
2: Sack her. is...
1: Maybe, yeah. Johnny Sack is, you know, on Tony's level, but
2: what are you going to talk to him about? <laughs> exactly, it's not
1: like he's going to have a conversation about the things that yeah. really matter to. Tony. He tries
2: Tony. to talk to Hesh about his spiel about his dreams. Yeah, right. Because Hesh is Jewish, he assumes he'll <laughs> be a good therapist.
1: Yeah, that's right. When Melfi breaks things off with him, yeah, he at the beginning, hangs out with Hesh instead. It
2: does not work. So yeah, yeah, he does not have anyone, he doesn't have anyone to talk to. He is like, like most contemporary adults, he doesn't have any real friends.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's part of what he's in there for. And what I mean by all this is that like, there's a lot of different reasons that Tony is in therapy. And some of those reasons, I think, support a case that therapy could have changed Tony given some alterations in his external circumstances all this just to speak against the case that tony is irrevocably and irreparably criminal and cannot be led out of the life that he's living or the, the way that he treats people
2: well i mean all italians are <laughs> irreparably criminal but, but
1: he doesn't make those changes he doesn't get that result out of therapy uh, and why not one one explanation is that another reason tony is in therapy is to have absolution or have a weekly confessional where right the things that are causing problems in his life, he can talk about and be forgiven for.
2: Right. By his new mommy, who can offer you advice and make you feel better and tell you it's okay, And you, but who can't do anything to really punish you. That's dad's job.
1: Yeah, yeah, good point. There's not really any actual power Malfi has over Tony. Yeah. It's a very safe place to, to do this. And, and it's worth noting that, like, I don't think Malfi does forgive what he does.
2: No, she never does. It makes her very uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, but Tony definitely gets out of therapy a sense that actually he's a, a good guy at heart and yeah. that the things that he's doing don't really reflect on who he is inside.
2: No, there's two Tonys. Right. <laughs> I think there's also something um, to be said. I'm not 100% sure what it is, but about how yeah Tony's relationship with therapy is not a result of his criminal personality or his sociopathy, but is a way that therapy functions for a lot of people. It's it's really hard to not have therapy sort of function this way. And, it, and David Chase is obviously aware of that. Chase talks in the Sopranos sessions about this a little bit. He says that Tony was... By the time you get to employee of the month, Tony was, quote, hooked on it, uh, hooked on therapy like so many people, he says. Matt Zoller says, I think, points out like, oh, you have a lot of characters on the show who go to therapy, who have um, who speak the language of self-help and Chase responds. That stuff, meaning the language of therapy, is all around. That's why it's all over the place. Like Christopher's I got to be a better friend to myself, which that's perfect. (laughs) Um, um, But he says it's always self-justifying. He says, when have you ever heard of a therapist yell at a client and say, what are you doing? That's terrible. You shouldn't do that. When have you ever heard them go that far? I think to therapists, the parents are automatically at fault, which they are, he adds. Everything results from parents' mistakes, but they can't help it most of the time. Kind of a muddied... Yeah, I, no, yeah. that's a great yeah, quote because
1: yeah. it it... it... Reveals the complete incoherence of, like, this view of human behavior and this view of what therapy is for. Like, yes, all the premises of therapy are true. Actually, bad behavior does come from what your parents do. But therapists are too soft. They're blaming everything on the parents.
2: And you're a piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, you're you're not at fault for the way that you behave. Your parents are but your therapist should yell at you about the way that you behave yes. and make you feel bad about it yeah
2: here's the last thing he says in that interview uh session three if you want to look it up in the book he says i guess it's just that you know why is the world still a fucked up place it's generation after generation after generation after generation that's it the end <laughs> like with no hope for change which is why it's so baffling that he says the sopranos is a show about hope like yeah complete on, bullshit the break. most cynical yeah. and
1: bleak yeah. show that it is
2: yeah yeah, he does not see a way out. And again, he talks about his own experience of therapy in the past tense. I, if I had to guess, I would say he's probably pretty proud of himself for quitting, <laughs> for not being hooked on therapy.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, that leads into the kind of last thing I wanted to talk about um, today, which is...
2: All due respect to based god David Chase, I'm not trying to shit on him, but he is, he is a guy. That's all. <laughs> Just a regular guy.
1: Made an extremely good show. Yes. A show that is often better than... Uh, he realizes. Yes. So let's loop back to where we started, which is the ending of the show. The final therapy scenes after Malfi decides that Tony is a sociopath who can't be helped, that everything that they've done together is just helping him to justify his bad behavior. Uh, from what we've discussed, it's clear that there's something to that. She's not totally wrong to see her impact on Tony's life as as one that has helped him sustain his evil
2: yeah no i mean that's 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 what makes it so vexing is that <laughs> uh is that that final scene with Malfi and tony in the blue comet is very frustrating and it's frustrating watching her have this kind of in bad faith pseudo realization about him like it, there is truth there to what you're saying and to what she says about what tony is and is not getting out of therapy
1: yeah but. there's truth to how therapy has functioned for tony But the way that Melfi understands that truth is that all the fault rests with Tony. That she has done her best, and that because of the crime bone in his head, he is incapable of taking on board her brilliant therapeutic insights.
2: There is a sense in which Tony did not try very hard at therapy. Like, he never once thinks about the things she says... Once he leaves the room, like he's not going home and like doing work on his own, thinking like, or like trying outside of applying the the lessons of Sun Tzu. yeah, 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 yeah. But he's not like, you know, doing any work outside of like it doesn't, therapy doesn't work that way if you just pop in once a week and do like plot updates on what's happened in your life that week. Right. Shoot the shit as Tony says. Yeah. Which is, again, really, you know, it's not because he's evil. It's a really easy trap to fall into. Right.
1: But, um, The final scene, I I think it is written in such a way that there is a a meaning that the writer is attempting to convey. And this is one of the therapy scenes written by Chase. Mm. I should also say... The scene where Tony discusses his plans with Christopher is written by Chase. But the final therapy scene in the Blue Comet, there's clearly something that Chase wants to get out of it. He has Tony say specific things that map onto some of the stuff that we have seen as Malfi reads the criminal personality, and some stuff that comes from that book, but that is not like directly assessed in the show. Some of the ways that Tony responds to, like, for instance, being caught stealing the thing from the magazine, his whole demeanor changes in a way that...
2: Yeah, it's kind of an odd change, actually. It's not what you'd expect.
1: Yeah, he goes from sincerity to being like...
0: You saw that, huh? Now people tear shit out of your magazines all the time. They're a mess. i try to read them. Huh, all right, I guess guess we're in on the
1: secret together. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, And then he has... I think this is a really... I think this is one of the few bad lines in the show where the last thing Tony says to Dr. Malfi is, frankly, I think that what you're doing as a doctor that is kicking him out, refusing to treat him, is immoral.
2: Immoral. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's delivered in kind of a heavy-handed way, and it's clearly supposed to be like, huh, this is the final proof that Tony is a complete hypocrite. Yes,
2: to... oh, the irony. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly that he's going to judge Melfi in the way that she's always refused to judge him and is now judging him. Yeah. But beneath that surface of of the scene there are really interesting things going on which directly contradict what the scene is trying to tell us what the scene is trying to teach us about the therapeutic relationship and Tony.
2: Well, yeah, I mean Tony in that scene is being pretty emotionally honest with Melfi. He is talking about like his family, his how he f- is feeling like he's not bullshitting her he's not trying to get one over on her
1: yeah he starts out i mean this is right after the second coming so aj has just tried to kill himself
2: yeah and Ooh, this has which, really impacted the way, tony uh go ahead by the way uh, uh aj's particular uh, elaborate method of trying to kill himself david chase came up with that because a friend of his that friend's child tried to commit suicide in that way
1: jesus yeah did he fail for the same
2: reason yes Okay. And very, uh, uh, Chase's response to it was like, you know, I don't get why if you're gonna drown yourself, why'd you put a bag over your head? Seems stupid. <laughs> <laughs>
1: he's he's right. He's right. he looks extremely stupid. It's a very comedic. Scene. Pretty big guy. Okay, so so Tony is in need of real help here, and he's had one of these major life-changing events that could be the prompt to some kind of insight or some kind of behavioral shift.
2: Yeah, the moment when he pulls AJ out of the pool is one of the most emotionally powerful moments of the show and it's one of the most, it's the most vulnerable we ever see Tony and the most yeah. like free with his feelings. Yeah.
1: Tony can kind of sense that something's off about Malfi and he's a little nervous. He starts out by asking, you know, how much do you make in a year? So what do you clear a year
0: around here? I don't mean to pry, uh, you know, just round numbers.
1: That's classic Tony trying to throw his interlocutor off, trying to put her off balance so that he can... Trying to establish
2: dominance, yeah.
1: Yeah. But it goes into something that really is on his mind, which is that Meadow has decided she's not going to become a doctor, not going to become a pediatrician like Tony wanted. At this point in the show, Meadow's life is clearly going in the direction of further involvement with the mafia. Yeah. She's dating Patsy Parisi's son.
2: Yeah. The gravity well was too much.
1: Yeah and she's going to be a lawyer instead of a doctor. And this really makes Tony sad. You know, it's just
0: a nice thing to be. Helping sick babies. Just, you know, Dr. Soprano. Sounds nice.
2: And he doesn't really know, he cannot frame it in those terms, so he frames it in terms of, like, Oh, she's probably not gonna work much and she'll have kids and then she'll be a housewife, like
1: Yeah, but there's there's like content to that as well because he yeah, sees yeah. that oh, she'll be Carmela. Carmela, this did not make her happy. This is yeah. not the life that fulfilled Carmela and it's not going to fulfill Meadow.
2: Yeah, I just mean he can't express it of course he can't use the term like he can't right, even yeah. think to himself in that terms like, Oh no, she's gonna be drawn into the life that I was drawn into by my parents.
1: Yeah. Like, And I'm going to... My profession is going to poison her life just as it's poisoned Carmella's life. Yeah. Yeah, Which is why he needs to talk about it in therapy. So that Melfi can help him. Melfi
2: can pull it out of him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But Melfi doesn't... She's not attentive to any of this.
2: No. Misreads everything he says.
1: Yeah. So Tony says, you know, he's disappointed. Dr. Soprano sounds nice. And also, it's just a nice thing to be. And he says specifically... I think this is, you know, Chase alluding to the criminal personality. Melfi's mm-hmm. just read this line where it says, The criminal's sentimentality reveals itself in compassion for babies and pets. And Tony says, Oh, it'd be nice for Meadow to be a doctor, helping little babies. Little babies, yeah. And so that just rings the alarm bells in Melfi's head and she thinks this is sentimentality that proves Tony is a criminal. Yes. But what Anyone
2: who is sentimental for babies, <laughs> criminal. <laughs> You're only not a criminal if you hate babies.
1: Yeah. So she misses completely that um, Tony's not thinking about Meadow treating sick babies. He's thinking about Meadow doing something good in the world instead of doing something destructive in
2: the world. Yeah, instead of having garbage be her bread and butter.
1: Yeah. And he, he says she's interested in civil rights, but hopefully she gets hired by a big firm. Hopefully she goes into white collar crime. Okay. He does not want her to be working with mafia guys like himself. No. He wants her to be doing something that's not with the Muslims or the blacks. Right. But also that's not with the Italians. He wants he wants her doing some kind of, you know, something commercial Something waspy, law. yeah. <laughs> Malfi also misses other aspects of this. Like, she says, that bothers you. And Tony responds, I want to do much more than me. So Tony is really thinking about this in, in like... Yeah. broader terms than just what meadow being a lawyer instead of a doctor means for his kind of self-image
2: right true yeah
1: and calm has lots of reasons to be worried about meadow getting married to a mafia guy's son who's you know becoming a mafia guy himself yeah she's seeing her daughter go down the same path that she, she did went down. yeah so th- there are all of these ways that Malfi could talk about I don't know, some of the things that really, really do upset Tony and turn this into a way to get at the genuine problem in his life, which is his job.
2: Yeah. Why don't you give it all up?
1: Yeah. But instead, she says...
0: And the daughter, like all females, ultimately somehow disappoints.
1: And Tony says, I didn't say that. But he's right. He didn't he say didn't that. Say he that. really now, didn't. No,
2: like, let's... <laughs> we would never say Tony is not a violent misogynist all of the men on the show are but in this particular instance it really seems like that is not what he's talking about here. <laughs> yeah exactly
1: yeah. i mean, this is what makes it such a great scene even as it's kind of a badly written scene is yeah. that there's all yeah, of this by accident yeah yeah there, there's these it brings out the different features of tony his worst features and also his positive features in a way that we have not seen much of since about the end of season four i mean yeah, Tony has yeah. been a fucking just a awful human being yeah, since just an, since then Just a soulless golem.
2: Yes, exactly. Just like they uh, predicted in season one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What the scene shows is the inadequacy of this theory that Chase pins the ending on. This theory that criminals are criminals, normal people are normal people, and there's no sense in trying to explain why some people hurt other people.
2: Or though that's just a fruitless endeavor. Like that's just not going to get you anywhere.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, you've got to get past the cheesy moral relativism, get down to good and evil, and Tony is evil. Yeah. And that's the end of the story.
2: Yeah. All you can do is tell him that he's evil over and over again until he believes it, and then maybe he'll be better.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the differences between... So in our interview with Sam and I, we talk a little bit about this. The Jokelson and Seminar book you read this, um, you know, more closely than I did. They have a therapeutic prescription, right? They, yes. They have like a a
2: cognitive phenomenological model.
1: Yeah. There's. They have a means to reform criminals. They think that it's hard. It doesn't work for everybody, but there is a way to get somebody to stop, stop repeating
2: these stop patterns being of behavior. Crimey. Uh. Yeah. Which is, which again, like aligns pretty closely with Crack Hour, Like, you know, just tell people they are not good. And <laughs> until they get it, just right, slap they have in the, the face.
1: Moral epiphany.
2: Yeah. And then they have a complete break with their previous life modes and can start to change. But it's yeah. based on yeah, changing your thought patterns. Anyway, I, don't, I haven't read that. That's like a second volume, which I have not read. So. I,
1: well, I read a bit of that. So that's what it says. But that... That reform aspect, that therapeutic aspect, is totally missing from the representation of the book that we get in the show. Yeah. We only get the description of the criminal as, you know, inherently criminal and unreformable.
2: Yes. And over and over, people in say, show you know, say, you know, you can't treat sociopaths. I mean, that's the lesson of the whole dinner party that Melfi is humiliated at, is that you cannot treat them. Which,
1: so, when, when, I mean... I mean, listen- Melfi does
2: offer to hand him off to someone else
1: yeah but clearly not because she thinks it will actually help
2: yeah she just wants to not have to deal with it anymore
1: yeah so melfi i mean that's the worst thing about that line at the end tony's right what melfi's doing is immoral she is really yeah, yeah. not facing up to her own failures in the therapy obviously she has an extremely difficult task but there were openings for that therapy to go to a more useful place for tony and they did have a relationship where. I don't know, she could get through to him sometimes. So the idea that after those seven years, she can simply dismiss the possibility of Tony changing strikes me as a unsatisfying way to wrap up her character.
2: Yeah, very unsatisfying. And yeah, I mean, it's certainly an unprofessional way to wrap up, uh, to sever the therapeutic alliance.
1: Yeah. And it, it, what you said before about Chase saying this is a show about hope, that's one of the most hopeless scenes
2: right. in the show.
1: Yeah. It's all of the stuff that we have seen as viewers. Oh. All of it was pointless. Oh,
2: it was a complete. It was all a bit nothing. It was all just black.
1: Yeah, and the character who has been set up as the moral backbone of the show, Malfi, who is incorruptible and won't let herself be, you know, drawn into Tony's web, just decides that it's not worth it anymore. That that the time she spent attempting to Help this person was a big waste.
2: Yeah. And it's not because, it's not even like, she's not even thinking about the fact, like she's not thinking about the fact that he's a murderer. She's not thinking about the fact that he is a serial cheater. She's thinking <laughs> about the fact that he wasted her time and yeah, like, you know- And embarrass her in it, front embarrassed of her in front of her friends. And tore the thing out of her magazine. Like it's this, it's petty stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, she breaks bothersome. up with Tony for reasons not unlike, he breaks up with her. You remember in the end of season four, he's, he's been given his walking papers by Irina's cousin.
2: Yes, but Lana.
1: Yeah, so his emotional reaction is to exercise his power to reject the one woman that's still yeah, in the his one, life. Yeah. Who, <laughs> so he decides he's going to stop trying to work with Malfi.
2: And the one woman who he knows will take him back pretty much yeah, any true. time he wants. Yeah. <laughs> You've got my number if you
0: change your mind. So it's customary. I mean, you shake hands. Well, how about a diamond pin?
1: But yeah, Malfi ends up doing a very Tony-like thing in the the last yes,
2: agreed. Ep- couple she's of episodes. She's talking, yeah, a little inappropriately. Her tone is a little too aggressive for the space they're in. It's yeah, it's very Tony-like.
1: Yeah. So in our interview with Sam and Al, we. Talk a little bit about this, about what the vision for society is if the thesis about crime is that it is innate, that it is not the product of environmental factors or family environment or um, things that happen to you in childhood or even economics.
2: Yeah. Abuse, yeah, anything.
1: Yeah, and I really enjoyed talking to him. I thought it was a really, really interesting insight into a very influential theory of, of crime.
2: Yes, and it was... Very, very, like, again, Chase found this account very compelling. It had a huge impact on how he decided to wrap up the show. So it's very illuminating from that perspective.
1: Yeah. But But when we came to that question of, okay, is crime always going to be with us? If there is no way to alter the formation of so-called criminal personalities, then what is the vision of the future? What is the vision of a society that gets beyond Tony's and gets beyond the social relations that he participates in and that i think you and i would agree produce someone like him
2: yeah and there really wasn't one
1: right yeah and i, I appreciated the kind of honesty Honestly, in that yeah. answer that on this vision this is what we're stuck with exactly. crime is with us society is not going to change in any uh, major ways that alter human behavior to make a better world for us
2: yes that make less of a in his words, uh, criminogenic environment. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to, like... He's not here to defend himself, so I don't want to, like... Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to hard, use yeah, this as yeah, yeah, a... Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So have a listen to the interview and see what you think. But one of the things that I got out of talking to him was that the strength of communism is the <laughs> the moral oh, vision. Oh, I'm sure
2: he'll love that.
1: <laughs> that there's a vision of the future in which the social ills that surround us today are no longer there. I mean, that vision may be incorrect. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a psychologist. So I can't um, promise that uh, after the revolution, crime will alter in any significant way. But I also have no idea what the call to a liberal view of the world is supposed to be, given that it it promises the same thing repeated into eternity. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. just always the same, but worse. Yeah. <laughs> which is how we ended up, which is why we are where we are right now. Year two of COVID, <laughs> yeah. uh, Joe Biden in office. That's, yeah. That pits it all, just slots right in.
1: Yeah, and I think that, that vision, that promise is very convincing in an economic boom, um, or in a time when people feel like the world around them is getting and steadily stable. better and more livable. Yeah. I have no idea who it will convince <laughs> today <laughs> as the fires you know, burn across California no. and the waters rise. And yeah, we enter year two, year three of COVID.
2: It's been almost, it's been as of November, it will have been... Two years, not since it started <laughs> affecting America directly,
1: but so this is this is not to say that the communist vision is correct about what will happen to society. It's just that um, that gave me some hope about the efficacy of the project.
2: Right, something it can offer. Hmm. Just to wrap up, I wanted to come back to David Chase's uh, experience with therapy and his relationship with his parents and how that informed his therapy and how that then informed the show. So in interviews in the mid-2000s, early 2000s, right after the show ended or while it was still going on, like while the final season was being filmed, that's when you mostly get all this stuff about how horrible his mother was. That Vanity Fair article, with, which has a lot of gems, is from 2007. In an article he or sorry, in an interview he did in 2018 uh, for The Guardian, he by this point has backpedaled quite a bit on his thoughts on his family.
1: like thinking. Not making the claim that the show is personal anymore?
2: No, no, no. Still makes the claim that the show is personal, but says, looking back, this is a quote, looking back, he thinks he went overboard in characterizing his childhood as bad. In fact, it was largely happy, a childhood in which he was, quote, free to roam and do what I wanted, break windows. His father was a owned a hardware store and his mother, although difficult, didn't interfere in his life too much at that stage. So now... Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, 10 years or so after the end of the show, he has sort of yeah is saying well i didn't really mean all that or i did but i was being a drama queen like actually it was (laughs) fine even though we like this i mean we have the words like the things you said happened that sounds that does not sound happy
1: right
2: so yeah i had
1: a happy childhood my mother was worried that i was going to murder my father with a gun
2: my dad would not talk to me for two weeks when i was a kid
1: (laughs) sorry for (laughs) laughing at your childhood david chase
2: yeah sorry it sounds
1: sounds miserable sounds awful we like the show by the way.
2: Yeah, I it's pretty good. We know you're listening. But yeah, so he has sort of I think I think there is a possibility and I can make up a just so story about this which I will do that <laughs> in the process of making the show in you know working out his some of his family dramas on screen whether he was 100% conscious of doing that all at all times or not. It seems like he exorcised a lot of those demons about his own past in the making of the show.
1: Right, or at least... I don't know about exorcised. No. no. Quieted them in the same way that Tony manages to quiet them. exactly,
2: exactly. Just, like, by talking about it enough and by thinking about it enough and getting it out there enough, it becomes boring to you and no longer becomes this... It's not fun anymore. Like, (laughs) it no longer becomes this big part of your... And also, again, I mean, he's much older now, so it's your identity that part of your life takes up a much smaller portion of how you think of yourself. And now you've got all these successes under your belt. Right. So yeah, it seems like he did some kind of therapy on himself. I won't, I won't speak to how effective that was or how good of an idea that was, but it's very interesting to me that he now looks back and says, yeah, that was, I I didn't, that was stupid. I was happy. (laughs) That's really interesting. interesting. But so yeah, that's where he is. That's that's where he is now. He does say, he does, in the Soprano sessions, that was also 2018. I mean, he does, some of the anecdotes are in there, but just thought that was interesting. Yeah,
1: definitely. Okay, I think that's a good place to wrap things up. Do check out the Sam interview that we'll post alongside this episode. Yeah, he was a great guest.
2: Yes, um, he was very game and we emailed him completely not expecting anything back. So it was very game. of fun. Yeah,
1: I think it's fair to say that we have, you know, extremely opposed political views. His work was like a very important part of the Reagan administration. And
2: yes, he has gone on to do a lot of work with prisons. Um, he doesn't like the word rehabilitation, but habilitation programs, video courses for prisoners to learn how to be better people.
1: Right. And, you know, I have had some involvement with prison education. I have different views about what people in prisons uh, would benefit from.
2: yes but
1: it was a it was a really interesting conversation and it was i think in terms of understanding the show and understanding one of the central theories of criminal behavior in american life and in american jurisprudence and in american policy making uh it was it was to me very fascinating yes
2: very informative um worth a listen certainly
1: well we hope to talk to you guys again soon
2: yeah we'll try try and be better <laughs> I don't know yeah i think it's
1: clear that this is going to be an occasional show not a weekly show
2: yeah unless yeah unless somebody wants to like anyone out there wants to be our pay us our angles (laughs) be our patron to allow us to just podcast full time we'll take it
0: (laughs) okay we'll well. make little
2: vanity episodes about you and your childhood (laughs) all right good night goodbye godspeed When voilà. Home. My system on overload. My money is on the phone. Adjusting to different zones. It's harder to be composed. Drama with my nigga and he ain't striking the proper tone. I say, who you think you are? Hung up, picked up the keys, then drove to the bar. Had a couple drinks, forgot where I parked. Ended on a bench, gazing at stars. Envisioning what life would be if I had lived out on Mars. Never a chance. Afraid of the dark, afraid of the past. Afraid of the answers to questions I never ask. They will tell me to count my blessings and count them fast. Seeing people's true colours, and the faith is fading at last. I don't even know why I invest in the time coming to therapy there's nothing that you can tell me that will help me i do not believe that you got it all figured out man let's take a break and some fresh air and a snout but i just might be out